just because you have an understanding of the Bible in your head doesn't necessarily mean that you have Jesus in your heart. Get right, get inside, get hungry, Everlasting water, never again thirsty, to disputed lands take a journey. You are listening to Chad Schaefer on Disputed Lands. Hello, everybody. And if you're watching the series, if you've been watching the series, welcome back. If you're just getting here, welcome. We're glad that you've joined us today uh, for this hour. We have another important guest that uh, we're going to have below. But before we're uh, he's waiting in the wings, before we get to him, the whole purpose as you may know, for those who have been watching, uh, is for one purpose for these uh, interviews, aside from sharing information, is we are raising money for brother and sister need, Josh and Christina Peck. Josh and Christina Peck, uh, uh, as many of you may know, uh, their son was diagnosed with leukemia just about uh, exactly one year ago. And um, because of that, uh, even with insurance, as some of you may have experienced firsthand, uh, the expenses uh, can get quite high, uh, quite uh, quite fast. And then, uh, even if with with a good insurance, uh, they they have caps. Uh, they pay so much, and then they stop paying, and you're left to carry the basket on your own. And uh, with uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, it, it ought not to be uh, that we shoulder these burdens alone. And uh, Josh and Christina have become not only uh, great uh, influencers uh, for our community and beneficial for us on so many levels and all that they've given and sharing of themselves and their knowledge and their time, but uh, they have become good friends. And, uh, and it is our love for them that we ought, to, we ought to help our brothers and sisters. So on your screen right now, you can see dailyrenegade.com scrolling across the bottom of the page. What you want to do is maybe not right now, but open up another tab or <laughs> on another screen, go to dailyrenegade.com, find the donate button, go there and give what you can. If it's a dollar, if it's a five dollars, if it's a hundred dollars, please do so. If you can give more, please do so. The, we have not set a target for the amount of money that we are trying to raise, because if I set a target, you guys would meet it and then stop giving. So I am praying that you will exceed all and any expectations there may have been uh, in this campaign that we have to raise money for this family. If you want to donate anonymously, and I know some of you just prefer to do that, in the link below this video, we will have the link for the GoFundMe page. But just remember, uh, anything given anonymous, anonymously through the GoFundMe, uh, GoFundMe takes a percentage. So not all the money you give will go to Josh and Christina. I understand if that's what you would like to do. It's, it is understandable. There are circumstances where that may be what you would like to do, but please understand not all the money you give will go to them. GoFundMe takes their cut. If you want everything that you give to go to Josh and Christina, go to the dailyrenegade.com and find the donate button and do that there. Now for this hour, as you've seen already from the title, we have joining me this hour, my good friend and brother, uh, many time returner to the Disputed Lands channel. He's no stranger to most of you, and he's a friend of Josh and Christina's, 
Gary Wayne. Gary, welcome back to Disputed Lands. Can you hear me? You can't hear me. Can you hear me now? Interesting. Uh, let I me can't just hear you. I uh, can't hear you. Oh, uh, interesting. Okay, I'm going to leave and I'm going to come back in. Hold on. Can you hear me now? There we go. Oh, okay. You can hear me. Very good. I can I can now. I, I couldn't before. So Interesting. Well, glitch yeah. in the system, glitch in the matrix. Uh, it I'm always glad happens. We're still both here. <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying welcome back to Disputed Lands, Gary. Well, how, happy to be back and uh, so much looking forward to having another conversation with you because I know the last ones that we had were, I think, really, uh, you know, one of those ones that you just appreciate having and you kind of look forward to having another one on because we tend to get into topics in a way maybe that other people don't have quite the same passion that we do. So I know that, 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 that is certainly true. Hey, Gary, I know I didn't give you a heads up on this. I, I've slipped it. I was, as I told you earlier, at the time of this recording, I, I spent six hours today in the ER with my son who tried to take his peaky off with a bandsaw at school today. Ouch. But <laughs> yeah, but uh, I just wanted to uh, give you an opportunity, if you would, uh, just to share with Josh and Christina uh, directly any encouragement you may have for them. Yeah, so just to Josh and to Christina and, you know, the entire family, you know, our, my prayers go out. We did a prayer, my wife and I, as we had supper as part of grace tonight for the family. And so that, you know, they can have you know, the help of not only, you know, the power of God and Jesus, but knowing that there's the support of a greater church of people out there that are supporting them. And it's my humble pleasure to be associated with uh, Josh on, on the Daily Renegade, whether I do a show for with him for, you know, for twice a month and to have worked with him. And just it's my, you know, I have so much respect for Josh and what he has done and contributed that, you know, anything we can do to help Josh and Christina and the family is, you know, what I want to do. And, and I'm hoping that, you know, other people will go to his GoFundMe and, and also contribute as well. That's awesome. Tonight, uh, if you guys uh, have Gary's book already, the topic we're going to be discussing uh, out of his book, uh, Genesis 6 Conspiracy, uh, you can find his website scrolling across the screen below but it's out of this <laughs> to tome uh, of information we're going to be talking uh, tonight out of uh, chapter 26 and if you've been uh, watched Gary's as he mentioned previous interviews on this show uh, um, Gary and I share a passion for uh, similar topics that come up within the scripture and uh, we're going to kind of continue down a line of thought uh, that we left off of uh, with our last interview. And uh, in our last interview, we spoke about the history of the mystery religions, uh, where they originated out of how they came to be and what they look like in, modern, in modernity. And today we're going to actually take a look at a couple characters from scripture that may have some surprising background and history to them that you either didn't know or even 
didn't know you should ask <laughs> perhaps that question, but it does make for an interesting conversation. It makes for another rabbit trail uh, for you to pursue and go down and consider and think about. And that's exactly what we want to do. We want to make you think a little bit, uh, gain some understanding and perhaps knowledge that's going to help build a better understanding of your worldview, history, historical worldview that allows you to fill in some gaps and uh, paint a clearer picture of exactly why things transpired the way they did. And I'm going to start, Gary, with the question you ask at the outset of this chapter in chapter 26 entitled Jethro and Caleb. And you state this in the very first sentence, and I'm just going to simply ask this question and let you take it. Uh, coupled to this genealogical voodoo, we're talking about the genealogies, is Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, and a mysterious Kenite, from which we get Canaan, Canaanites, Kenite, but that's K-E-N-I-T-E, named Caleb. By the way, uh, you probably knew this, but do you know what Caleb it means in Hebrew? Dog. Dog. Uh, I knew you would know that. This is yeah. interesting because I, I, you probably and, knew and, that. and I didn't call you a dog. I, it's translated. right, right. No, I'm Chad. <laughs> goodness, that means warrior, but uh, <laughs> or or battle, but yeah. but Caleb means dog. Now it's interesting to know that the Canaanites, Canaanites, Caleb were known. Uh, as the dog people yes. because they worship the dog star. Mm -hmm. uh, so they were called the dog people. It helps make so much sense of the parable. If you remember when he's, uh, when Yeshua is talking to the Canaanite woman, when he says, who am I to give the children's food to a dog? He wasn't being derogatory. That is what they called themselves. The dog, the dog people. It's anyway, it's a side trail from this question. I know, but this is what happens. Anyway. Well, we're going to get in, we're going to get into Caleb yeah. a little bit later in in, in the conversation. So yeah, I'll, I'll keep finish, all of that finish the question, yeah. but I just yeah. right off the bat, I just yeah. these are the things where my heart and mind goes. Like, okay, so I'm going to start over. The <laughs> with the genealogical voodoo is Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, and a mysterious Kenite named Caleb, who. Uh, what overlooked insights do these two relatively obscure figures shine upon the Nephilim Israelite relationship? Gary Wayne, go. <laughs> yeah, and uh, this is a bit of a rabbit hole, and, a, and I'll I'll cut off the rabbit hole just so that you know people get a uh, an understanding where I think uh, their genealogies might lie. But we need to understand these connections because. Israel was not created in a vacuum and separated completely from the Rephaim or the Nephilim, Rephaim as they're called after the flood. You know, in fact, Abraham, when he moves into Canaan, or Canaan, I mean, he's surrounded by Rephaim nations. And these are the nations that Israel is going to have to take on as they're going to take, you know, the covenant land uh, and, and settle in it. And so understanding these types of relationships starts to open your eyes as to what was really going on in a larger and more important context. And none of the details or none of the characters seemingly in the Bible are there for redundancy. The detail is important and that's why it's there. And the more you dig behind 
the details of what's written in the Bible, the more meaning that you get. And particularly, you know, I like what you were talking about with Caleb to understand the meaning of the words as they're translated into English, because the Hebrew meanings have, and the Greek meanings to a lesser degree, but in the same sort of vein of thought, give you a lot better understanding to the fullness of the meaning as to what's being talked about. And a lot of the words, though, they can have different meanings. So you have to make sure you're selecting the correct meaning for the translation, that it fits with the narrative and it fits with other supporting passages in the Bible because the Bible doesn't, it's not in conflict. So if you're, if you're doing that, you're, gonna, you're just going to open your eyes. And so when we talk about interesting relationships, it's interesting that Moses runs into Jethro. Right. Uh, who's right. a meet who's a Midianite. Uh, and we're not told a whole lot about who Jethro is in the Bible, except that he is a priest of Midia. Right. Uh, is how we're introduced to him. And um, he is, you know, the, the high priest or a, a prince, as Ungers will call him, because uh, they, they would deem that that position that he held were. Uh, united in terms of the people that he was overseeing at the time. So he's more than just a shepherd, uh, you know, that a lot of people think he's, and he's got more of a history that's involved here. And so we need to understand that uh, this is important to understand because whatever Jethro's genealogical, genealogical background is and or whatever his previous history, religious or otherwise, is important because... Moses marries Zipporah and is going to in, inject that blood into the bloodlines of Israel. And, and Zipporah, yet this is the, being his, Zipporah being his daughter, correct? Yes, yes, daughter of Jethro. Sorry, I, I, I didn't mention that. And so we need to understand the context and that this was also not likely a coincidence that God guides Moses in his sort of delirious uh, half dead sort of nature after traveling through the desert um, and, he, and, he, and he comes to, to meet Jethro and, 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 and his family and I don't think this is coincidence. And so uh, not only uh, do we need to know uh, about the, uh, the genealogical aspect, we also need to understand that Jethro has more than one name in the Bible. Yeah, this was something that was that was uh, kind of a new understanding to me back when I read this through the first time back then. This is the first time I've ever had a chance to talk to you about it. But that was something that I hadn't really considered or thought about or uh, maybe even knew at the time. And I'm I'm pretty sure that a lot of other folks that have believed that they know their scripture pretty well, maybe they didn't know. This as well, that this connection to different names in the scripture for one person has occurred. Uh, yeah, yes. This before you explain that to me, Gary, yep. don't lose your train of thought. How surprised were you when you started digging into this information? Well, I'm, oh, the first thing that starts to ring with me is that, you know, are there different authors? Has the Bible been corrupted? What's kind of going on on that? And as a contrarian, <laughs> right. <laughs> Those things I, I just can't sort of leave set. I need to, yeah. at least to dig into it. And sometimes you have to dig a little bit more around the Bible to actually answer some of those questions. And, and what, did, what did you discover on that? 
Well, I discovered, you know, a couple of things that a lot of the names were actually titles in ancient history. And so, uh, you know, like David, for example, isn't thought to be his real name. And some people actually believe that it might have been Elenhan and David would be a title, like mm. a Caesar, right? Mm. So just as a gag in the Old Testament, which is, again, around the same period, there's actually... You know, a gag is mentioned, you know, two or three times in, in the Bible, but with different characters, mm. right? And it's a title, and it's uh, equivalent to a pharaoh or a Caesar title as well. And so it can be a patronymic title that goes along with it. And or any other responsibilities, it may be a meaning to the title that um, uh, is being, uh, you know, talked about. So... It's not unusual to have people who have different names, and just as Saul is thought to be a title as well, and that mm. he has he has a different name um, before that. So when we look at the different names that were that were provided to uh, Jethro, we're talking about Ruel, R E U E L, and that comes in Exodus uh, two eighteen. Um, and yet, uh, you know, we get his name shortly after in the next chapters in Exodus as being um, Jethro. Right. And, and we also get another name uh, for him as... Uh, uh, Hobad. Pardon me? Oh, oh yeah, I'm going to get there in a second, but oh, there's another okay. one still. In Numbers yeah. 1029, it's uh, as we would pronounce it in English, and as it shows up in the King James Version Bible, it's Rigual, or Rigual, but the G right. wouldn't be pronounced as we do in English, so it's actually a transliteration of Ruel again, and he is the father of Hobab, and that's in Numbers 1029, and that starts to clear up the other name that is Hobab that he's also called. Is that a title, or is that just a mistranslation of the King James Version uh, tr translators uh, or what else is going on there so that when we get Judges 4.11 uh, we get uh, Heber the Kenite um, who is the descendant uh, or a children of Hobab and the brother-in-law of Moses right so you think they're talking Hobab as being Ruel or Jethro there and that's a possibility Sure. Uh, and in terms of how you want to understand that, but other versions will translate that like the New International Version and some other English translations as father-in-law, as opposed to brother-in-law that's in the King James Version. And Unger's, suggests, Unger's Dictionary suggests that they're probably referring to uh, the name as, as the brother-in-law. So when we go back to... Uh, Numbers 10.29, we understand that Ruel is the father of Hobab, right? So mm -hmm. he's not Hobab. So it's likely then that uh, we're not really understanding the translation properly or it hasn't been translated uh, as clearly as it should be because, you know, Hobab is, is a Kenite here, which means Jethro is a Kenite because Hobab is the son. Right. Yeah. But just let me finish the translation here. Uh, so really it's saying Heber the Kenite was the children of or the offspring or the posterity of Hobab, you know, and father-in-law of Moses, right? So it's actually referring back to Hobab as one of those descendants that goes back to the father-in-law who is uh, 
Jethro and, and, and or Ruel, as he's called in Numbers as the father of Hobab. So I don't think it's actually, it's just not clearly translated, I guess would be my take on it. But we do get two different names for Jethro in, in that, you know, they're split into two, but I think it's the same name with Ruel, but the other one is, um, is Jethro. And another source that I like to read just for context and see whether it throws anything onto it on it, for me would be the Jewish legends and not so much the Kabbalah legends as much, although they, they can have similar stories and they have similar roots. But Lewis Ginsburg collected and documented in several large volumes of legends of, of the Bible. And it's very interesting reading just for, you know, some possible insights and what they, what he says in, in, uh, the legends of, uh, of Judea and Israel is that Jethro actually had seven titles and names, reflecting right. how important this individual was. Right, and I think uh, throughout the different stages of your life, I actually discussed this in the topics of uh, that is broached by my own book that people likely didn't know or, or it, it's not made mentioned uh, even in modern terminology that Caesar also held the title and name of Pharaoh uh, because of the conquering of Egypt. Yes. It's, it's not something that we consider and think of. And if yep. it's information that if you don't have it, it, it fails to inform you on some important information to understand, especially when it comes to the conquering uh, of Israel. When it's talked, when we were given that scripture, that place where our Lord and Savior was crucified, which is spiritually called Sodom in Egypt, and you're like, mm -hmm. "Well, why does that have any benefit?" Well, that's because Rome, the Caesar, was also known as Pharaoh. So yes. Pharaoh oversaw the land. Yes. <laughs> so now that context just means so much. And when you say or bring up that information, that he may have had seven different names. As you said at the outset, the context for why and when those names are used or being referred to within the same passages, like you just said, it's, the Bible has either just told you conflicting information back to back, or you've got to make a logical conclusion that these two names are have to be the same guy, as you've mentioned. It does. And so, again, if I match up the Hebrew legends from, from what Ginsburg talks about, then it starts to make sense why it's uh Jethro who Moses is going to meet up with and because in the legends of of of, of Judaic history uh, they've recorded that uh, Jethro was part of a great priesthood in Egypt before being exiled to Midia and so Midia may not be his true genealogy which has different as I call it in the book, voodoo uh, of genealogies, because you have Keturah, who was uh, the you know concubine of Abraham, who produces Midia as one of the peoples, and one of the peoples who would be wanting to make a claim on the covenant and the birthright and the inheritance right and the Magianic blessings, just as the Malachites would through Esau, which are again brewing throughout the conquest of the uh, the promised land and right through the you know the age of the judges and through to, to, to king david so understanding that uh he was 
possibly somebody else, and we'll come back around to the Kenite connection in, in, in a minute. He was a priest of Egypt, which would have been at Heliopolis, which is where Moses would have been educated. Yeah, it, it just makes much more sense then if you're Moses in his shoes when he's fleeing Egypt, you know, where do you go, right? Well, where would you go as a person? You're going to go where you may know somebody, right? Or where you may have a connection with somebody. So you're not just out there on your own, which would have been very dangerous to, to be. You're going to go where you're known. And so when you absolutely said that, when I that it, made, it makes more sense. Yeah, and it, you would you would also presume then that if the Jewish legend has some accuracy, then that the exile of Jethro, for whatever reasons, and he was said to you know also be managing a library of tablets according to uh, Gnostics. So I mean you have that not you know that whole cult of knowledge in there as well, but he would have been exiled during the lifetime of Moses likely because Moses was about forty when he moves on into Egypt. So one presumes. It either happened in his lifetime uh, and he witnessed it or just shortly you know before but it would have been part of that history because that would have made news and people would have continued to talk about it and there would have been a reason as to why and it would also be the perfect person to introduce Moses to the God on the mountain who he has converted to and perhaps right. one of the reasons why he has been forced to leave as Moses was ostracized out, out of Egypt. So all of that starts to make some sense there. And I think that, you know, makes the transition for, you know, a Hebrew raised as Egyptian royalty now has lost everything and is feeling worthless. And all of a sudden now he's accepted into this family and he goes up to the mountain and talks with God and, history is changed and you don't have these significant crossroads of history happening all by coincidence no matter what anybody tells you that's <laughs> right. not the way it works right it's such a it's such an intricate potential story again you, you everybody has to draw their own conclusions but the information that is provided there if you dig into it provides so much uh, more context and understanding these stories uh, why like I was just saying you can accept them for what the scripture says if you can put your faith in Christ you believe the word is true you can read something and accept it to be true but the context of it just adds so much more fullness to what you're reading and understanding so that you can see the plan of God unfolding it actually increases our faith actually <laughs> it, it, it does it does because you it just all of a sudden the lights start to go on and things start to make more sense and you start to connect more dots and it really does um, increase your faith that the more you dig, the more you understand there's more information that you just haven't seen in the Bible, no matter how much you dig. It's just layers and layers and layers and layers. And I would now throw in that the other two priests that are mentioned in Jewish legend are Balaam, and Job. Yeah, which again, that second one, the first one you just mentioned, no shock to anybody. Uh, most people are familiar with the story of Balaam, but Job may become as a surprise 
to yeah. you, you say his name in the context that you're using now. I am. Go ahead, Gary, lay this bomb on us. <laughs> and again, so you have another, these were priests that were part of Heliopolis, as I've connected the dots a bit, and they're no longer in Egypt as well. Um, one, uh, you know, is going to be aware of God, but not always follow God. But But Job, on the other hand, tends to make a conversion and he you know i mean the job just praises job to high heaven and but what's interesting though which you just it was to me it was like oh my god what's going on here when when i'm making the connection here is he, job is from a, a city or a town called uz uz in a place called seir which is the home of the horim Raphaim, and where the Amalekim are going to be as well after they're created. And, you know, what's so interesting about all of this is you have Seir's daughter, and Seir goes back to the word satir in Hebrew, um, which again is, you know, tells you that there's more to him than just being, you know, uh, a member of the Horites. I like to call them Horim because I think they're part of the Raphaim and I think just as, you know, Deuteronomy uh, 2 and Genesis 14 clearly groups them in there as, and I make a real big case for that in, in, in the book. I go through that in detail. But Seir's daughter, Tina, so a female Horim, female Raphaim, is going to marry Eliphaz, son of Esau, to produce Amalek, who's going to produce the Amal, Am, you know, Amalekim, I'll call them the hybrid race, because the Amalekim in Genesis 14 in the War of Giants precedes this account. Hmm. You know, the account of uh, uh, Amalek being born. Right. Because Abraham was there, right, you know, before, you know, Isaac or Japheth. Jacob are going to be born, right? And that's when the war takes place. So you got two different peoples going on here. You have the hybrid race that the Amalekim are going to form, and you have the original uh, Raphaim race, as, as I would understand that. And you have, this is another race that is going to be, because it's the offspring and progeny of Esau, the one who Jacob steals the birthright and the covenant and the Messianic blessings from that is going to carry on a vendetta to try and eradicate Israel from the face of the earth. And they're going to do that because they want to usurp those blessings for themselves because if the offspring of Jacob are no longer around, then they as the you know rightful as they would look at it firstborn son would have the right to all of that and would have then wanted to put for their dragon messiah as i would call it from from the nephilim bloodline so again that that context is absolutely astonishing when when it hit me and it's going okay was job was job a good guy or not well now i gotta reread <laughs> right again but again i think it also goes to the notion that he was from there we don't know whether or not he was uh a horim or uh, an, uh, another uh, individual from the table of nations, but but these doesn't doesn't really matter if he converts. Yeah, but these people together, just as a part of the explanation, with those three being mentioned, uh, Job, Balaam, and um, the one you just mentioned before that, 
it might have been that this whole order of priesthood was expelled from yes. Egypt. Yes, uh, for, for and, maybe recognizing who the true God was and maybe speaking against Pharaoh for enslaving the Israelites. And they are, you know, removed because they're foreigners to begin with. Sure. And them talking against a demigod king as they would have looked at themselves with the divine right to rule and the bloodlines from their gods. They would have not had accepted that no matter who the source was, particularly when they were not Egyptian. Yeah, exactly. I just, I mean, if you're like Gary and I, I just, these, these little nuggets of information that help perhaps connect some dots are just so intriguing. This is like candy in a candy store yeah. uh, for folks like us. And we hope that your folks like us, if you're watching yeah. this, it's yeah. going to get your wheels to turning, but go ahead. Uh, well, uh, and we don't, and we're not quite sure who Balaam is, but again, he said over and over, you know, in the Old Testament, as his name comes up to be the son of Beor. Right. Well, who's Beor? Beor, the only name that I come across with that is in Genesis 36, 32 again, down with the Horim. And as we talked about the uh, the beginning of the, uh, the Amalekim, but before the Edomites moved there, the descendants of Esau moved there, Beor is one of the original dukes of, and, and duke has a, you know, that's a rabbit hole I won't go down today in terms of, you know, its translation as, as, as right. an elven kingship um, from what the occult believe. But he was one of those lords as a Rephaim prince before the descendants of Esau migrated there. And this is who Balaam is. And Balaam comes from, a place called uh, Pithor, which is in Chaldea or Mesopotamia in that region where Nimrod had settled and had, you know, began the Magi. And it's thought that he was actually originally part of the Magi that went to be as sort of a high priest of this council over to Egypt. And he's the one that is going to be hired by King Balak of the Midians, which was why, you know, originally think he might be Midian, but we're not. I think he's whoring based on the Genesis sure. 36 detail, but he is going to be paid to um, curse Israel. The, and yeah, of course, he can't do it is, as the story goes. But yeah, the the bottom line is he's somebody that's well known. He and yes. and and you know, as a priest, prophet in his field, this is why he would have been one ideally chosen. Yes, that he's being put forth the connection his location his status title all these things make him to be the guy right he's the he's the go-to guy to curse israel if it's yeah. going to be done and he's going to bring in the polytheist gods and clearly balaam is not a converted one or totally converted one he may be you know more of you know god is a very powerful god but still part of the pantheon because he has concerns about going against God because he knows this could be problematic, but he can't do the cursing because God won't permit it. But then later, Moses is going to kill him or have him killed um, for all the evil and the, the damage that he's done to uh, Israel in terms of sort of putting doubt in their faith and stuff in terms of, again... If the, and again, 
the Israelites would have known who Balaam was from Egypt and how powerful he was and the doubt that he had put into Israel and they were a doubtful nation right from the beginning coming out of Israel was something that you know Moses just you know he had to do he had to demonstrate to his people I think that God was more powerful and even this high most powerful priest outside of Egypt just as God took on all of the priests of Egypt and Moses did there he was not going to overcome Israel and Israel's destiny and they're going to kill uh, the uh, Balaam as well as the five kings of the Midian Pentapolis who were not just you know friendly neighbors of Israel <laughs> These were allied Pentapolis organized kingdoms of Sihon and Og who were fighting with them against Israel and Moses before they even crossed the Jordan River. Again, right. the relationships are just incredible once you start peeling the onion back. Yeah, and the, the story of Balaam, you know, for those who understand or have read any kind of scripture understand, this story of Balaam is associated very closely with Hebrew scholars to the what we read in Revelation regarding that term Nicolaitan. Uh, if you look at the yes. commentary about, about the Nicolaitan spirit mentioned twice, this story is always associated with it. So if that is something that's connected, you got to start understanding why Nicolaitan, you know, the conqueror of the people is literally yes. what that means. Yes. Uh, it's encouraging you in Revelations to learn about Balaam and the Nicolaitans and what they believed and what they did and what they worshiped so that you're going to be ready in the end time. Again, those details exactly. are, are extraordinarily important. I mean, yeah, and so, you get so many details. You, I mean, you're chasing details forever and learning more. <laughs> it's fun. Right. I, I didn't want to throw you <laughs> off, but I mean, I'm just pointing, painting another, you know, putting yeah. another dot on the page for people to connect yes. to give them the context of just who we're talking about here. Well, and it's important because what I like to point out to a lot of people is if you really want to understand prophecy, you have to understand the Old Testament and prehistory and understand the references and the allegories and the meanings to what's being talked about in the New Testament, even though we don't have that direct, you know, connection of the language because Greek, you can't connect, let's say, uh, you know, a giant or uh, mighty one's back to the same words that I might use in the Old Testament, even though they might be used in the, in, in the same sort of meaning. But uh, what you can do is when you have exact names and exact times and you've got, you know, things like Babylon and all of these other, you know, allegories, particularly in Revelation, is you can go back and read about that in the Old Testament and then understand what that prophecy is all about. Right. So I, I didn't want to throw you off. I just, you get me excited, Gary, and I can't I help myself. <laughs> you know how I am. But well, I, yeah, we could, we, we could keep opening doors and going down those doors all night. Well, I'm just going to throw them open and people yeah. can try to walk down them, I guess, as they want yeah. to on their own time. So, <laughs> but go ahead. With your, keep so I, I want to go continue bring on. that now back to Jethro again, because we're not fully done with Jethro in terms of some of these relationships. So, you know, as we talked about in Judges 4.11, um, with Hobab being a Kenite and, uh, you know, of the posterity and progeny of Jethro as being the children of Hobab and that whole lineage. Mm -hmm. And that Hobab is the son of Rael in um, the book of Numbers. Uh, we look at that name Kenite and that's 
kini, as you take that back to Hebrew, uh, or kain, which is a very close word associated to Cain, which I'm going to connect here in a minute. In a minute, and the word smith comes about as part of its meaning. And just as Cain, which is Cain, which is the same word, uh, 7014, and within that series of words, 7014, 7017, so you know that they're connected, you know, uh, is associated with um, um, metallurgy and smithcraft, just as Tubal Cain is connected with the same because of the word Cain. And of course, I'm just going to take a quick diversion here before I finish that thought off. This makes sense of how, where the knowledge came from when Moses was up with God to smelt and make the golden calf. Mm. Is that that knowledge would have come from that Kenite influence because there was more than just probably Jethro that they were talking to and they would have been noted smithcrafts and they would have been teaching some of this to uh, Aaron and the Israelites because they're also needing to build the ark and all these other things as well. So they're learning this and again it's probably coming from the Kenites. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to make that that sort of connection. And Kenite derives from Cain according to you know authors J.R. Porter and, and, and the legends of Lewis Ginsburg. And so now we have this connection uh, that the Kenites are thought to be descendants of Cain that somehow survived the flood. And this, these are not uh, the, the Kenites as opposed to possibly Jethro uh, are not necessarily the same people, and, and I'll come back to that. But the Kenites, they're going to show up in Genesis 15, um, 19, as I recall, with the Cadmonites, Cadmonites, and the Kenizzites, which is going to be important to understand when we get into Caleb. And these are people that do not go back to the table of nations. Now, Kenaz does um, as being um, an offspring of Eliphaz. But mm -hmm. again, that, you know, uh, is probably, you know, I would say, I would, I would say this, I would lean that um, perhaps and I, I hope for that, you know, he was, uh, Jethro was a de descendant of Kenaz, as opposed to these Kenites who are said to, you know, are, are being the surviving people of, of Cain after the flood. And I think these are, the Kenites in Genesis 15 are a Rephaim type of nation. Well, you just, you just verified information, whether you knew it or not, that I had already interviewed uh, Doug Woodward, uh, for those of you who are watching, and he pretty much mentioned this same aspect that the Canaanite lineage is just cut off in the scriptures. Yes. Uh, it was left, it, it's just left off. It's just cut off uh, for the same reasons that kind of you were mentioning here. So it's very interesting. That you yeah. And, and it'd be, yeah. And it'd be interesting that you have all of these Canaanite nations being created, but without patriarchs, like you get Heth and you get um, Sidon, as offspring of Canaan, but then you get this family of nations and you take that word family back and it's a species or a nation or a tribe, but they don't have a patriarch. All the right. table, people of table nations have a patriarch. These ones do not have a patriarch that's listed because it's going to be a Raphaim patriarch 
who is going yep. to have married daughters of Sidon and Heth and Canaan to create right. this family of nations, like the Amorites, right. who were a hybrid nation that were taller that Caleb and the spies are going to see when they go into the promised land. So things start to make sense. And yeah, it, light bulbs go off. Light bulbs just start going off. And that includes the uh, Canaanites and the Cadmonites. And I like to call them the ancient KKK. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> and the Cadmonites, and because again, I mean, occult groups don't take their names. No, and they they love to do these uh, double entendres with you know more than one meeting, and 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 I think that's actually who they take it back. I actually have what I you know a document for people on. It's the last one of the series of the uh, Nephilim Wars that I do. It's a fourteen part series. And I finished with what I call the ancient KKK that explains who the Cadmonites were, were the Eastern sort of refereeing people. And I connect sort of all of those dots. I won't go into that but tonight, but I just wanted to get that on the table. And the other connection I want to get on the table here is that uh, the closeness of Kenite to the Canaanite, or yeah, Canaanite as opposed to Canaanite, to the Canaanite, as in Cain, as in son of Adam and Eve, is in back in Judges 4.11 again. Which, mm -hmm. again, most people overlook because right. in that case where it says Kenite, it doesn't go back to Kenny. It actually goes back to Cain. Mm. With the word as a translation. So, But all that's telling you is it's not saying that those are the same people. They're saying it has the same sort of meaning in terms of the context of the name that they, you know, take on the persona of being this descendants of Cain and, and took their name accordingly, but were actually, you know, Raphaim. Right, which was what you were talking about. The, the name is more of a title. It's a description that has a connotation associated with it. Uh, yeah. An understanding surrounding it boiled into one name to make things simple so that if you, they assume you understand the context so that when you use this name, all of that context, all of that information is provided to you with, with it. It, it. It's a simplification. Yeah. So, I mean, just, I mean, it's not like Jethro's name is mentioned a lot and it's not mm -hmm. like Hobab name is mentioned a lot, but the importance is significant. And it's also important, I think, that uh, to make the distinction that I don't believe that Raphaim Kenite bloodline was introduced to the uh, to the Israelite bloodline through uh, Zipporah and, mm -hmm. and Moses. I think that actually probably goes back to Kenaz. And I think right. there's a connection back to that seer area there in that... Um, as, you know, as I recall, Kenaz is the uh, offspring of Bashamath and Esau. So, again, it's, and, and again, I, I think Bashamath might be a Canaanite, but we're, again, not necessarily and not likely one of the hybrid Canaanite families, but uh, probably an offspring and progeny of Canaan, you know, and we know his lineage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So keep going. I'm 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 going to just let you keep rolling. Well, I thought I'd, unless you wanted to talk more about Jethro, I thought I'd probably roll into uh, Caleb, Caleb now. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's do that because that's got uh, some very interesting um, connections as well. No, pick and, it up. Go ahead. 
Yeah, so we talked about uh, K-Lab, uh, you know, that comes from 3612, H3612, uh, and it means uh, a dog. And what's interesting about dog is that these were known warriors for names or titles for warriors of that time. And actually, you know, part of the dog men sort of mythos. And there's many connections in the Bible that might suggest that they might be a kind of Nephilim. Maybe not quite as uh, high in the rank because, you know, even Goliath, when he's speaking to David, you know, you know, saying, you know, are you calling me a dog? It's like, it's like I'm higher than uh, whatever this dog warrior might be. So they might be hybrids or whatever, but there's clearly a hierarchy there that I think Goliath is, is referring to. But all throughout history, you have dog warriors um, that were fighting in battles. I mean, it's, there's, it's uh, through Greek history. It's through um, the Romans were able to have it in there. And again, I have a nice series on the dogmen. I won't go through all of the de de details, but you've got yeah. dogmen and dog warriors coming from gods in China and in India and in right. Africa and all and, around the world. And just to associate it again with this satire association, uh, Caleb is also synonymous with the bent knee. And you think, well, what do you mean bent knee? All knees yeah. bent. Well, it's it's a backwards joint compared to the forwards joint. So a knee joint that has bent backwards. And you think of that, well, there's only critters <laughs> yeah. that have a backwards joint in their knees. And so uh, to call uh, hominid uh, Caleb would be significant. And it has a definite thought process for those who understood it then. Yeah, and Caleb is a Kenizzite. So part of that ancient KKK that we're talking about. And he is a great warrior. So again, is he actually of the Kenite line or is he from the Kenaz line? We don't know. I, and sure. I would agree with you. It makes more sense to be from the Kenaz line as he's a whole, he's part of the holy nation there. and. Uh, the, the meaning of his name carries more to do with character, again, than, uh, than anything. Than, yeah. Than anything. And you also get another word that a lot of people may not be familiar with, but it, it's a, an extension of the word, you know, Caleb in he, Hebrew, and it's a Calibo, and it's a patronomical title for a name of a people, the Calabim, mm. as we would call them. And again, it could be uh, that there was a tribe of these dog warriors and he fought that well, or maybe he was a true Kenite. We don't know whether or not it was a name that was placed on Caleb by the Israelites, which again, as I explained earlier, is not an unusual thing that the names, people have many different names and it, it all depends on how they want to record them as a title or uh, as, as what their true name is. And so what's important though about this is, I mean, as, as, he is fighting alongside Joshua in all of these battles. And he fights some significant battles. And even when he's 85 years old, he is fighting like he's a young man. And he's fighting against all these Rephaim people. Yeah, and I have a theory about that I'll share with you after the interview as well. But remind me. <laughs> I don't want to get you sidetracked anymore. <laughs> so as we understand and we try and sort this out, is he 
from Kinaz? Is he somebody else, you know, different lineage? And this is just the title. We understand that he is the one that is going to be awarded Kiriath Arba by Joshua. Mm -hmm. And Kiriath Arba is Hebron as we know it today. And Arba is the father of the Anakim. Mm -hmm. And they lived in the Hebron area. So all of a sudden now you have a possible Kenite, which by definition, uh, without any other sort of context, might be a Raphaim who is going to be part of Israel and the spies uh, and part of the warrior force that's going to take the covenant land. And in Judah, just south of Jerusalem, he is going to be given Hebron, home of Kiriath Arba, home of three famous ones reported in the uh, in in the famous uh, scouting mission into the Covenant Land, which is um, my mind's going uh, blank on them right now, but it is Telmai, Seshai, and. Ooh, I'm trying to think of, of the other one, but it slips my mind if I come back to it. Teshai, Shammai, and Ahiman. These are... I let you go until you got it. I figured yeah. you would. <laughs> these, these are the Anak, and they're mm -hmm. different than the taller ones there. When you mm -hmm. read the report before the evil report, and I'm not saying they're Nephilim, that's the embellishment part, I think, to scare... Uh, by, by the other spies to scare Israel. But they clearly report that there are those three who are the, obviously the kings, but they're Anakim, the Anak. And there are also people that are there that are taller and mightier than the Israelites, which would have been like the Amorites and Canaanites and other, other hybrid intermarried Rephaim people. But... That is an accurate detail. So don't let people say that they're just taller. There's two separate peoples. And again, in Deuteronomy uh, 1, you get mm -hmm. Moses, 40 years later, recapping the details with the accuracy of Caleb's and uh, report, who she's part of, um, as they came back, that you had not only the Anak that were there, but you had a people that were mightier and taller than them, and they had these fortresses of tall walls. And it's the exact same account. So that's the part you want to read in detail, not the part that where they're trying to scare people. That's accurate. So you have the hybrids and the, the Raphaim that are there. In Deuteronomy 2, we're told Anakim are Raphaim. So it's just a vernacular name for the same kinds of people. Right, right. It's just important. And information, it just, uh, it, it, and as you write here, it sheds light on the strange final oracle that Balaam included in the destruction of the Malachites in the unexplained canines. Yep. Uh, and I'll just read this. I don't know if this is where you were going with that right away or if that's taking you off what you were talking about there. But uh, you write this. Uh, then this is the prophecy. Then he saw the Kenites and entered this oracle. Your dwelling place is secure. Your nest is set in a rock. Yet you Kenites will be destroyed when Asher takes you captive. And that's Numbers 20, 22. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the Kenites, they actually survive, you know, into the time of, you know, beyond David. 
and into the time when Assyria is going to disperse Israel. Well, so, and it's interesting to note because there are tribes uh, native uh, in the Americas uh, and, and, and specific, and I can't remember which one it is of the in Native American Indian tribes that they were known themselves by as they called themselves the dogmen. Yes. So, you know, it's like, okay, maybe, you know, like uh, what L.A. Marzilla said, you know, starts having, and when you look at the monuments and everything that's found here, yep. and, uh, it yep. just, where did that knowledge come from? How did it get here? Well, here you go. Well, <laughs> Here's evidence. If if we had elongated skulled giants that with red hair, you know, migrate here or were created here by you know other incursions after the flood by fallen angels, and that's my preferred position a second incursion, uh, then you know why wouldn't there be other kinds of nephilim there and. So I should probably explain that. I think you can make a case, and I do, that uh, you know most of the Nephilim originally were, I think, more of a serpent type of look, um, and you know probably offsprings of the seraphim angels who had, were fiery serpent-faced angels, and probably the ones in Genesis six. But other angels, likely both before and after the flood, um, created Nephilim as well, and that's where we get possibly these dogmen and you look at okay well who are some of the, of these topable you know possible gods you could have like uh, nabak who was a barking god um you know nergal is associated with with dogs even though he's got more of a lion shape but then that brings in the lion men uh, but you know gods like anubis are jackal gods and you actually have you know a city that was a that was named uh after these dog warriors and offspring of anubis um and again you get as i mentioned earlier this complete mythos and historical records of these dog warriors and then you have these lion men of moab and the gadites who are connected back as gibberim um, which is used a lot of times to describe Nephilim. And these beings, whether or not it's from the lion god Ermolu or Bast or Seket in Egypt and lion gods all around the world near Hiroshima, you know, produce this, this line of warrior gods as well. And, uh, you know, there's, there's reliefs of these people. And I've got in, in the document I've got on the lion men or the dog men, I've got pictures of these uh, from ancient history, if people want to get a hold of me, just get a hold of me through right. through the website. And then you have the Tengu. Say that the, Teng, the Tengu. These oh, are the okay. Raven Nephilim. And I'll uh -huh. connect this back in just a second. Uh, okay. so bear with me. And I'm these with... are uh, Raven or bird-faced Nephilim, and they were a warrior race particularly in Southeast Asia, in China, and in Japan, and all through South, Southeast Asia, in India, that produced a, a warrior ruling class and kings and also a priest class. And mm -hmm. again, I got pictures of these individuals as well, and they would have that same look as the Anunnaki are shown in uh, some of those reliefs with that bird face. And or they seem to have this also this relationship with the Thunderbird gods as well and their offspring and so you get this again as as a worldwide uh phenomena now if i go back to judges 7 and i'll make a couple quick connections here uh for you you have 
two princes called Orab and Zayab. And they're going to have their heads taken, probably because they're refereeing Amorite, uh, Midianite uh, hybrids, and they're the kings. But you generally take the head of a Raphaim to make sure they're dead, just as David took the head of Goliath. So what does Orab and Zayab mean? Well, Orab is raven and mm -hmm. Zayab is wolf. Mm. And these are warrior kings that are fighting. And one wonders whether or not, again, is that a title? Is that what they look like? Is that their genealogy? How did they arrive at those names? And again, I don't think that is a coincidence that I'm not one to think that those are either. I think they're all there with purpose and they're accurate description of information uh, that should be understood as it's simply given, right? The yeah. are here is, in my opinion, it applies. It means what it says. And it means it means what it said. And if you look back at, to what Moses did, they took the heads of the five Median kings to kill them as well. So I think right. there's, there's consistency that, here there. Yeah, and it's, you know, if it's interesting, those familiar with David Flynn's work will remember that the sign of the crow or the raven, which is in the heavens, uh, resides over uh, in the constellations over what is known to us as Mexico and South America there. Yep. which is where we get Quetzalcoatl, yep. <laughs> the feathered yep. serpent god. So, I mean... Yeah. Well, and a plume serpent, right. a feathered serpent, a seraphim angel, a naga, right. you know, a dragon, and, and, and uh, flying angels or flying serpents are dragons, and or, you know, the dragon creator gods in, in China, also where they have those Tengu gods, and they're also described as both uh, two different classes there, one as being... You know, a dog god, and one is being a serpent god, as the right. term well, And Tom Horn points out, you know, America is likely, you know, it's just a phonetic way or an Englishized version of Amaruka, right? Yep. Which is Amarica. Yep. So, all these things are so fascinating, Gary. Believe it or not, we've actually run out of time. So I don't know if you have final thoughts that you want. I do. I'll. We're, I'm not rushing yep. you, so please understand. Yep. Take the time yeah. you need, but go ahead and finish this line of thought that we're on yeah. for this chapter. So when, just to finish off and bringing this back to uh, Caleb. So, and we talked about, we're not 100% sure that he was of that, um, you know, Raphaim bloodline, but there is one verse that suggests that he, he is at least, whether it's through hybrid bloodlines or not, and might go to that whole warrior stature, is in Numbers 32, 12. Uh, Caleb is the son of Jeff, Jephana, which is the Kenizzite. And so there seems to be this lineage, but and that doesn't seem to be going back to Kenaz and the Kenites of the Esau bloodline. So again he comes out of nowhere and he has intimate knowledge of that whole canaanite area uh, so once might be a connection there that caleb again was a converted uh to uh to to god and helped the israelites for for reason and he inherits this land you know where those three kings of uh, Hebron, Kirath Arba, was in uh, Ahiman, Talmai, and Sheshai. And, of course, those names show up even after the flood. 
I mean, even though in the battle, as you know, before they start the conquest of the land, they go back and, and, and defeat the king of Arad in the area where they were uh, camped and the spies had come back to. That's the first battle they come to. Then they go up and around in, into the area of Sihon and Og, and they're going to cross over into Israel or the land of the covenant after take care, taking care of Sihon, Og, and the, uh, the Midianites. But uh, you would think that they would have been wiped out at that point in time. But at the time where the land is awarded to um, Caleb, they're there again, those three kings. And then again, after he takes the land, in Judges, and it's the people of Judah that actually will dispense of these three mighty Anakim kings. So uh, they're resilient. They either had a you know great mechanism of escape or something, but they would either leave and come back, maybe even three times, but they continue to show up. And again, this is the descendancy that goes into the time of King David um, with, uh, you know, Absalom, his mother goes back to the kingdom of a king who has the name that goes back to Telmai. And with that patronymic title that we're talking about and the bloodlines of those people that were kept. And so uh, it's interesting that you have the rebellious Absalom who is going to be from a female from an Anakim bloodline or Rephaim bloodline that is going to try and stop King David and probably another attempt to usurp the Magianic bloodline and usurp the inheritance blessings once again. So all of these details are important. They're just not there as redundancy. So I just wanted to cap that off. That's the one thing about Caleb that suggests that he actually may have come from that lineage, but that doesn't mean that it is the lineage of Cain from before the flood. Uh, we don't know how they take their names, and it sounds like they were uh, they were actually Rephaim, and they actually lived amongst the Amalekim. And as the as the uh, curse that was put on the Amalekim, they're actually you know are going to be told to leave Amalekim, so they're not totally destroyed because the Amalekites were the ones who wanted to destroy. Israel from the face of the earth and swore a blood oath to do that and brought in all of the other Raphaim nations to do the same. So they had a special judgment. So so I just want to say if somebody wanted to get a hold of me on some of these documents I was talking about, the Nephilim mm -hmm. wars or the different kinds of Nephilim, the serpent, the lion, the dog, and uh, the bird Nephilim as in Falcon, as in Raven, as in Horus as well, just to tie another connection in. Get a hold of me through the website or through Facebook, and the website is genesis6conspiracy.com. That's genesis6 with the number 6conspiracy.com. Yeah, also, uh, uh, he is, uh, as he mentioned earlier, maybe some of you missed that or didn't know, um, he is doing shows uh, regularly on the dailyrenegade.com. Uh, so uh, information, uh, I follow the quickest way for me to see, uh, updates is, uh, where I see, uh, Gary's updates is, uh, through Twitter. He's very good about, uh, tw uh, tweeting these out whenever there's a new post or anything there. Uh, I get an alert from Twitter so you can find him on Twitter as well, uh, from his website and follow him there. Uh, Gary yep. is 
very busy. He's always active, always full of information. You can contact him. Uh, I can vouch. He's an easy guy. He, like everybody, he, he doesn't stop researching. So, you know, don't be mad if Gary doesn't respond to you right away. He is a busy guy, but you know, be patient. And I'm sure he'll get back to you. If you have a serious question about something that he's written about, uh, Gary will find the time to give you the information that, that he has where he came to the conclusion. So I, I spend about three or four hours a day answering questions. So I may, it may take me four or five days to, to get back to you, but and sometime sooner if I get caught up, but I will get back to you if you have a question or if you want uh, some information on, on, uh, on a topic or a document on a topic. Well, Gary, sadly, again, our hour has or <laughs> our time here is uh, drawn to an end. It happens so quickly. Uh, it just gives me an excuse to uh, bring you back on another time to talk about another fascinating topic uh, to explore these mysteries and these histories. Folks, you need to go to the Daily Renegade, find the donate button, do that and uh i have more interviews and guests to come so if you're able stick around for those but if you can't until we see you the next time this has been uh, take on the world tv i am chad schaefer this show is called disputed land and we'll see you again real soon thanks for joining us get right get inside get hungry word of god appetite Everlasting water, never again thirsty To disputed lands, take a journey Get right, get inside Get hungry, word of God, appetite Everlasting water, never again thirsty To disputed lands, take a journey Get right, get inside Get hungry, word of God, appetite